0: This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 823, with Tasha Shore. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 823. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms Tasha Shore is a shameless mom to three mostly grown sons, ages 16, 18, and 20, as well as a parent coach and the founder of Parenting Boys Peacefully, where she is on a mission to create a more peaceful world, one sweet boy at a time. She is also co-author of Listen, Five Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges, which has been translated into five languages. Tasha works with parents to care for themselves, connect with their boys deeply, Set Limits Lovingly, and Play Wildly. She's been featured on Dr. Shefale's Parenting Mastery Summit, Go Zen's Anger Transformation, and Listen Up Summits, and has spoken to audiences at the Institute for Child Psychology, the Diversity in Parenting Conference, and the Davidson Institute, Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, and she's been on a boatload of podcasts. She's been everywhere. (laughs) So I met Tasha at an event where I was speaking, and she came up to me after the event. We were actually, I was speaking about podcasting, and she came up and she was telling me a little bit about her show. And I was like, this sounds really interesting. Please pitch me. (laughs) And this is my favorite thing to do at conferences, by the way. Like people, if I'm doing a speaking event on podcasting, people will come up to me afterwards with questions about their show and any advice they might need. And as they start to tell me about their show so that I can help them, I am often like, your show sounds really amazing. Please email me and pitch me. (laughs) So Tasha was one of those. And so she reached out, she pitched me, and I was like, yes, my audience absolutely needs this. So listen in to hear Tasha share her roots in feminism, her alarm in having three sons, and how she wrapped her head around maintaining her identity as a strong feminist and a mom of boys. She then shares how the feminist movement has left our boys and men behind, how the patriarchy has harmed women, obviously, but also most men and definitely our sons, the importance of advocating for boys in spite of their behaviors that we might not approve of, why our boys need safe spaces to make mistakes, common mistakes that parents make in trying to stop our boys' aggression, such as assuming that the aggression will end on its own or coming down too hard on her kids or isolating the child or trying to do all of this on our own right because we think we can do it on our own but maybe we can't <laughs> and then she shares her five-step practice to stop aggressive behavior in our boys i know you're gonna love this conversation it brought me peace and ease in terms of hearing what how tasha talked about how we raise boys In terms of the tools that she shared, but also just knowing that she has incredible resources out there, and knowing that she is someone whose work I can return to over and over again, as I continue to raise a boy. So having an eleven-year-old right now, and knowing that that's going to look different in a couple of years, and. Tasha is a place and a person I can return to so Tasha has multiple resources for you to check out she has a course on out with aggression she has a 10-day reconnect for parenting boys peacefully all of this is mentioned in the show notes so please pop over to the show notes and look at the resources that she shared if you go to shamelessmom.com click on the episode with Tasha Shore episode 823 everything's looked linked up right over there and everything can be found at her website parenting so with all all that, let's go ahead and welcome Tasha Shore to the Shameless Mom Academy. Tasha, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so, so excited to have you here today.
1: I'm really, really honored to be here, Sarah. Thanks for inviting me.
0: I always love to let people know a little bit of context in terms of if I have a pre-existing relationship with a guest. And so I'm going to share with people that we met at an event, Mom 2.0. I was speaking about podcasting, I believe, was mm-hmm. it about I'm like, Wait, yeah, what was... was I speaking about? I think it was about podcasting. So yeah. At the end though, you came up to me and you talked to me a little bit about what who your audience is, what you do. And I was like, Oh, yeah, that's a good topic for my podcast. <laughs> and I don't even recall if you pitched me at that point or if you then emailed me later. But a shout out to people who see an opportunity, go in to make an introduction and position themselves well and then like go in for the ask. I so appreciate that. And I think that's how good business is done.
1: Absolutely. If you don't ask, you know, you're know, you not going to get a yes. Exactly. <laughs> if exactly. you don't ask, it's a no for sure.
0: <laughs> totally. And every single person, because multiple people came up to me at that event um, after being in that session and asked and pitched themselves for podcasting, whether it was like right on the spot or later. And I said yes to every single one. <laughs> so I think that people assume like, oh, it's going to be a no, or I'm going to be, it's going to, I'll feel foolish, whatever. It's funny how accessible things can be sometimes. And we make up big stories about like, this is will never work. And so
1: yeah. I think that's true about 99% of the things that we're reaching for. Yes. <laughs> so yes. much of it is just mindset, right?
0: Yes. And like these weird narratives that we have in our head that like these people are like high and mighty and we're not. And like the reality is we're all the same. Exactly. <laughs> all, all the same. I'm,
1: I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we're going to talk today about parenting boys peacefully. And as a mom of a, 10 year old who by the time this goes live, he will be 11. There's a lot to be said for parenting boys. And some of it I saw, like some of it I expected, but a lot of it I didn't. I will say one of the things I expected in having a boy was like a lot of energy and like, you know, going to the park and having them like want to jump off of everything. That's not the boy that I have. And so I have different challenges than I expected in parenting. A child who carries a lot of worry and internalizes a lot of things. And that's really different than the kid who's loudly screaming, jumping off the play structure. And so it's been interesting to me to see in raising a boy, what I expected and what's coming out of this experience (laughs) and how they're not very similar. Um, And I know that you've raised three or you're in the process of raising three boys. So can you talk a little bit about where your boys are at and what inspired this work?
1: Absolutely. My boys are big. <laughs> they all tower over me. They're 16, 18 and 21 and what inspired this work is them. Yeah, um, I was so- I was guessing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I grew up with my mom, we were a dynamic duo. And I was very steeped in feminism and the women's movement in the 70s and the 80s in the San Francisco Bay Area in California. And a lot of my life was about women's rights and fighting for girls and I can be anything and do anything. And I was just thinking about this story when you just were sharing uh, about expectations, because when I was pregnant with my first child, I one morning woke up and had this frightening thought, which was, oh my God, what if I have a boy? Like <laughs> it had never even crossed my mind. And so what did I do? I called oh my, my mom? Because that's what I did for everything. Call my mom, right. right? I still call my mom. <laughs> so and I said, mom, you know, what if I have a boy? And she was just silent. I'm just like radio <laughs> silence. And i was just like, oh God, it felt like forever. It probably wasn't that long. But then at the end, she goes, don't worry, Tasha.
0: We'll figure it out. Oh my gosh. And, like both of you thought it was impossible. Right. Like it just, it's just like- There's no boys in this family.
1: Right. It laugh. just hadn't crossed our minds. Yeah. It hadn't crossed our minds. But I think- Part of the reason is because we have preconceptions about what that would mean. And so, wow. you know, in your case, you had a certain preconception. And I think in our case, like coming from this pretty intense, like feminist background. And by the way, just to come clean, like I still could consider myself a feminist through and through. But there was some way that the sort of the movement w- was taught to me and experienced by me that set up men as the bad guys. Yeah, And so to think about then birthing somebody who was going to grow into a man <laughs> was like, um, what am I supposed to do with like, how can I do this? I'm like crossing over to the dark side. Like what's going to go on here? How am I going to marry these two things? Because I anticipated, you know, loving my child. And in fact, I was head over heels for all three of my boys, one, two, and yeah. then three boys. And I had to figure out like, how do I sort of keep this identity as a strong feminist, pro-girl, pro-woman woman, woman, and pour all my love and advocate for these boys sometimes despite their behaviors, which is like, Mm. how did I get into it? Because then they grow and they do things. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, like this can't be my child. And it is my child. And I have to figure it out. I have to keep loving him through it. I have to move through the shame.
0: It's so interesting. I was thinking, as you talked through kind of those different stages, I was thinking of things that have that I've thought of in raising a son. I was also raised by a single mom. It was my mom, my sister, me. And so my sister and I both had boys. And I think we were both a little like, how do you do this? <laughs> and But it's been really interesting. And I think we both have sons who are really like they're big feelers and they're pretty in my mind, again, because of preconceptions, I'm like, are they exceptionally emotional or like exceptionally emotionally accessible, which has been really, really interesting because it has been like really overcoming preconceptions. And then also carrying this idea of, I want to, like, I'm also would consider myself a strong feminist and I want to instill that in my son. I want him to be a feminist. Of course, when he was three years old, he had a t-shirt that said feminist across the center of it. (laughs) And, but I want to do that in a way where it's not me just preaching about women, but it's like preaching about men and how feminism and masculinity overlap. And that it's not just a woman's thing.
1: I love that. I mean, and this is the conversation, Sarah, that we need to be having because the truth of the matter is the women's movement was and is amazing and our boys are being left behind Yeah, and we're failing them and they're failing. Their suicide yeah. rates are sky high. Yes. They are not keeping up academically with their peers who are girls. You know, they're not moving into the workforce at the rates of women. They're in a bad place. For me, feminism has become what can we all do, any gender, all genders, right? What can we do to bring everybody up? It doesn't have to be an either or. I think that as often happens with movements, like when it's a reaction to something or a response to something, it's like we sort of work within the same paradigm. And I think a lot of the women's movement Followed sort of a very masculine patriarchal way Mm. of doing things Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, it's this or that it's black or white. It's my way or your way kind of a thing. And I think we're in a space now where we need to look at the gray areas. It's not black and
0: white, right? And I totally agree. And I also think that this comes up a lot when I talk about the patriarchy and depending on where I'm talking about it, I feel like I have to give like all these caveats because to your point, when we talk about the patriarchy and our children, it very, our children, our partners, the people that we work with, it very much includes men who are victims of the patriarchy as well. It's not about like women screaming at men, it's how is the patriarchy completely failed almost all of us. It's been, it's allowed for a very select few people to be successful. And those are the people that have the most power in the world, but everyone else has suffered as a result of it. And that includes almost all men and it includes our sons.
1: That's right. And I think one of the biggest ways that it has affected them is that it has stunted their emotional growth. Yeah. Right. We have not created space for men to have deep, rich, emotional lives. Mm -hmm. And Our little boys start out that way. They have these big, rich, emotional lives. But so often we get scared because... When they are nervous or anxious or struggling in some ways, a lot of times those behaviors comes, come out in or the, those feelings come out in behaviors that are challenging to our systems and our structures, school, family, um, our pride, our egos. And, and there's a lot of fear because we're looking at a world where most of the atrocities are happening at the hands of the men. And mm-hmm. we're scared that our son is going to be the next one. Right? Yeah. So there's just so much fear. And then when yeah. when our little boys, they feel that we're scared for them, and we're scared of them, their behavior worsens, and we just yes. end up in a really hard place. So we need to get really comfortable with having our little boys feel and men, by the way, I man, I can't tell you how many women I've talked to who, who will say, Oh, you know, uh, you know, heterosexual who, who will say, you know, I wish my partner were more, you know, we're softer, were more emotional would like mm-hmm. share his feelings more. But then if he cries she flips out like yeah. it's really uncomfortable i'm like well yeah. like i didn't uh, i didn't sign you?
0: up for you to be like emotionally unstable <laughs>
1: right and you're like well hang on you want this or you want this like
0: <laughs> right 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 I swear it's like, IEPs, she talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning, different Differences and differences in school. I want to talk about boys and behavior because I think this part is really, really important. And I noticed this, and because my son is at this younger age, although this probably continues, you can let me know, but I noticed there's a lot of judgment around how boys behave. And I'm thinking kind of specifically around like playground behavior. So pretty early on in a grade school setting, it is known like who are the kids throwing punches on the playground? And noticing this at my own child school, I've also noticed some of the quick labels and judgments that are put on a kid that then get carried out via like the school leadership, via teachers, via peers. And there's reinforcement around this is a kid who does this. This is a kid who's aggressive. This is, and this is not to like say anything bad about my child's school. This is just like, I think this is happening everywhere. And it so, yes, yeah, So this is just like how we notice and label kids. How can we advocate for boys despite their behavior and also really check ourselves when we find ourselves saying like, oh, he's the violent one or he's the one that like can't control himself. He's the one that's kicking all the other kids.
1: Yeah. This idea of advocating for our boys despite their behaviors, I think is just key. The quickest way that I found to help parents be able to sort of shift their perspective is to think about your boy as separate from his behaviors. Now, I know he's Mm -hmm. not completely separate, but if you can think about it, like I like to sort of make a fist, you can't see me right now, but like I'm making this fist and this is my sweet boy, right? So this is all the yummy things. He's generous and he's sweet and he's kind and he's thoughtful and he's cooperative and he's curious and he's all the things that we love, all the things that we know to be true about him. And I want to say to you all that those things are always true about him, always. Always. Okay. In in every situation, that part of him is always there. And then what happens is that he moves through life. And am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Sure, go for it. Shit happens, (laughs) right? Just shit happens. And (laughs) some of that stuff, Most of that stuff we don't have control over, right? Maybe there's birth trauma. Maybe there's a pandemic. Maybe there's, you know, teasing at school. Maybe there's a separation. Maybe there's a death. Maybe there's a move. Like maybe, you know, you don't get to finish your Legos because you have to go to a doctor's appointment. I mean, there's big things and little things that happen, but they're all sort of little nicks in his sort of emotional connection and his feeling that things are good and If there's no space for him to recover from those little nicks, they chip away at the amount that the rest of the world gets to see that sweet, yummy Mm -hmm. boy underneath there. And what happens is that we get these behaviors that kind of glom on top. So, you know, there's fear that sits in, there's disconnect that sits in, and those lead to behaviors that are You know, sort of not pro social behaviors, right? They're like more anti social behaviors, like these kinds of things that you're seeing on the playground. Mm -hmm. And then, what when we're parents or at the playground and we see this kid and he's, you know, pushing somebody down the slide, all we're seeing is that behavior of kid pushing down the slide. And we're forgetting that there's a sweet boy underneath there. And then we label, we go, Oh, my God, you know, he's the mean kid, or he's the bad kid. And those labels stick, and they lead to worse behavior, and they lead to horrible mental health issues and isolation and, and all sorts of things. So it really is our responsibility as adults, parents, teachers, to interrupt there to remember that underneath every, you know, kid pushing somebody down the slide or grabbing the toy or whatever it is a sweet boy. And if we can remember that, then our job then is to reach For him, because in that moment, like he's not sensing our presence, our love, our connection, like he's not feeling good about himself in that moment, we can be sure, there's probably fear in there. And so if we can, instead of like focusing on, oh, my God, what a bad kid, or, you know, time out right now, you're not allowed to play for 10 minutes, or all those things that just sort of add to the hurts that he's experiencing, if we can focus on reconnecting with him, reconnecting with that sweet boy that's underneath those behaviors. What we see is that the behavior shifts. So, even I I remember like once uh, when my kids were young, we were at a playground and there was this slide issue, just like I was describing, sort of pushing down the slide. And it was a bunch of kids playing and all the parents are on the side, you know, sort of on their cell phones or talking or ignoring the kids. And, you know, we also are trying to have a life. So I get it. But sometimes our kids need our attention. And I noticed that there was this thing going on. And so, what I did is like I went in and I inserted myself in the play. And, you know, and I said, well, you know, what is going on here? Did I just see somebody push someone down the slide? We can't have any of that. But I had like, you know, a gleam in my eye and silly about big, big it. And smile. I like, like, big the, smile, like the happy,
0: positive mom. <laughs> exactly. And like, I just started
1: this game of chase with the kid who was doing the pushing and stuff. And he was giggling, which is a release of fears and stress, yeah. right? Yeah. And anxiety. And then what happened? All the other kids who were not wanting to play with him, came and wanted to participate in the game. And before you knew it, I had like the whole playground and me like doing this game and everybody (laughs) laughing and everybody running, you know, and what? It took like five minutes and we played and it was fun. And then I went back out, you know, with my parent friends and the kids went on and were fine and could go back to playing. And so that's one way that it could go, but I could only do that because I saw a sweet boy underneath the pushing. I saw that there was a struggle happening there. I didn't label him because of a behavior that I saw.
0: I love that story. One of the things that happened with my child last year at the beginning of fourth grade, he started do, playing different activities at recess than he had played in the past, which led to thing, some emotional escalations and some big feelings and him feeling inadequate and feeling like he was being teased and some things that just like are normal playground things. But it escalated to a certain point. At a certain point, he like got into a bit of a physical rumble with his best friend, <laughs> Which was like, wait, what? Like your best, what are you? The whole thing was just really different than anything we'd seen before. And I talked to the vice principal at one point and I was like, so are there like protocols? Like, what should I know about what's the protocol for suspension and i'm like i knew we weren't there but i also was really curious like what does this look like and i was so grateful about his answer because in my mind because this is what i grew up with it was like a three strikes you're out kind of a thing like you know if you do this once we'll give you a pass if you do it a second time it's going to be like in school detention and then like there'd be like a chart for it and he said well we don't really have a protocol he said every time something like this happens we get the kids who are involved and take them aside and talk to them individually and we see like well, why did this person react this way? What were they feeling in that moment? What triggered that? Who else was involved? Like, and they basically like dissect the whole thing. And then from there they can decide a course of action. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, this is exactly what you're talking about. That it's not about the action. It's really about seeing each kid in that moment as just a kid. And then what were the triggering factors in that incident?
1: Yeah, it sounds like they have some form of a restorative justice program in that school, which is quite progressive. And I will tell you that, like, even that three strikes, you're out kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Even that's not happening in a lot of schools. A lot of schools have, like, no violence policy or no mm-hmm. hitting policy, no physical aggression policy, mm-hmm. which means that a lot of times if boys are just even roughhousing or if they're having an altercation like this, which needs adult intervention and they need help, like, There's no opportunity for them to grow and learn. They're just suspended. And it's incredibly sad. It's incredibly sad because our boys need to be able to make mistakes. They, you know, when they're in fifth grade, Sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, fifth grade, like they're growing up. Their brains are nowhere near fully developed. They need safe space to be able to make mistakes and to have adults in their lives who will continue to love them through and guide them through the healing process and restoring and healing and mending the relationships with the people that they got into the rumble with to move forward. I mean, these are exactly the skills that are missing in the leadership in the world today. Yes. I,
0: I so, love that you just took it right to the top. That's yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things, you know, we were thinking about before, I think we talked about before the podcast is, is just how parenting boys peacefully is related to, to world peace, I think. And to mm-hmm. me, I think it's just, it's a direct line. Yeah. but I feel so passionate about, you know, my business mission is to create a more peaceful world one sweet boy at a time. And I believe in that deeply, because as parents of young boys, and particularly as parents of young boys who are struggling with behaviors that other adults or and other kids don't know what to do with like we have an amazing opportunity to help them grow and yeah. to transform if we just let it go go oh, the aggression's is good you know it'll resolve itself or we go it's like oh my god we, we freak out and I don't know what to do or we let it go like or we let other people handle it in a more punitive kind of a way we just end up with more of the mess that we already have. And all those fears of like, oh my God, is my boy going to grow up to be like this, that, or the other thing? You know, I don't want him to be. And we have these fears. These parents are coming to me and they got three, four five year old. You know, I'm afraid he's going to be like, you know, The rapist, next rapist behind the dumpster, he's going to be, you know, the next school shooter. I mean, these are real fears that parents are having with young kids because we are so triggered by what we're seeing in the news and then the behaviors that we're seeing at home. But in fact, we have this amazing opportunity. There's so much we can do to help them.
0: Absolutely. That circles, I think, right into some mistakes that parents might make in trying to stop aggression. And because, and I think I appreciate you bringing up like that really severe, those very severe worries. And those are, like you said, very real worries because those are big and severe and really, really scary. We probably have a tendency to react, maybe overreact or react in ways that aren't actually helpful and maybe are even harmful. So can you talk a little bit about some common mistakes that parents might make in trying to stop aggression?
1: Sure. I mean, one like I alluded to a moment ago, is that we kind of assume that it's going to resolve on its own. You know, if the aggression's going to resolve on its own, then you won't be feeling worried right now. Like if it's like a little phase, then you're probably inside feeling like, okay, you know, this little phase is going to go away. And it's maybe been going on for a couple of weeks or something like that. If you have sort of a knot in your stomach <laughs> and you're like, it's been going on a while, or yeah. I feel like my family is sort of revolving around this child who's struggling, or he's not making friends in the way that I hoped he would, or not being invited to birthday parties like other kids or something like that. Like it is something that needs addressing. So one thing that parents do will, will is like let it die down, it'll, it'll resolve on its own. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Another thing is to come down hard. It's, I think, probably... The most common reaction to aggression is to respond with aggression. And that aggression might be, you know, physical. It also might be verbal yelling. And that just instills more fear in the child, which just leads to more aggression. It also causes us to feel horrible about ourselves because none of us ever want to do anything harmful to our child. We just do it because we're at the end of our rope. We're under-resourced and we don't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. So we want to avoid coming down hard. We want to avoid isolating So yes, sometimes we have to separate kids, right? Sometimes we have to keep ourselves safe or somebody else safe, of course. But the, you know, go to your room until you know how to behave kind of a thing does not bode well, okay? It just sends the message that when things are hard and it sends the message basically like, I can't really see that you're struggling. I can't see that sweet boy underneath there. You're just bad and you need to go like figure things out on your own. To me, those two things are the most, dangerous things we can tell our boys like one for them to feel that we think they're bad that we can't separate that sweet boy from behaviors that we're confused as their parents and then two that we're sending the message that they need to figure it out on their own because if there's one thing that I want my boys to grow up knowing is that reaching out for help when they are struggling is a noble thing to do and there are many resources and many people who can help so I don't want to be sending the message. You've got to figure this out on your own. It doesn't work, right? Why do people go to 12-step programs? Why do people go to support groups? Because we can't do hard things on our own. We're not built that way. We are social creatures. So isolation, I'm trying to think what else. I don't know. Those are some some of the big ones, I think, in terms of mistakes that we make. I guess one other is like to try to do it on our own because there's so much as a parent, because there's so much shame involved.
0: Yeah,
1: right. There's so much feeling like, oh, my God, did I create this monster? Like, what did I do wrong? And if I had just not done this, or if I just done that, maybe this wouldn't happen. Or, you know, oh, my God, what is wrong with this child? He's horrible. And we sort of fall into that thought pattern. And it's just detrimental to everybody involved. It's detrimental to us. It's detrimental to the child. It's detrimental to the relationship. It's detrimental to the sibling relationships of their siblings and to the dynamics within the family in general. So it's really important that parents know that aggression is a really, really common thing. Okay. Nobody's posting about it in their Instagram stories. Right. Right. Oh, my God. My kid just... Punched me in the face. My kid just called me a bleep. My kid just pulled the chair out from under his sister and she fell, and we're in the ER. Like nobody's posting those on their Instagram stories. But the reality is, some form of aggression is happening in many, it happens in most families at some point and in many families on a regular basis. And so rather than sort of stay alone in the dark, shamey corner, find a community of people who are figuring this out and and join them because only when we lift the shame and we can stop blaming ourselves or blaming them or blaming anybody, can we actually start doing the work to turn things around? And there's lots to do to turn things around.
0: And we're going to get to that in a minute. This episode is supported by earn in life doesn't happen biweekly. So why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with earn in. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. So- Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes. And now we have to buy new shoes this weekend, and the money's not in the bank yet. So, Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So, make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, "When I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind." Earning is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC.
2: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs)
0: I appreciate everything that you just shared and kind of a common through line that I saw was that the mistakes that we often make when a child is being aggressive whether it's verbally or physically is that we dismiss them and their behavior because we assume that we miss the mark in terms of recognizing that they're suffering or struggling and instead we make this judgment because if we saw a grown man doing this we would like we would make this judgment too that they're doing something intentionally or because it feels good or because like they take delight in it. And I'm thinking through the situations where I've watched my child or a friend physically or verbally lose control and they never feel horrible the end, after yeah, like they're never at the end. Like I really got them good. That felt great. There's like an immediate shame spiral, whether it's public or private, immediate shame spiral. And that can last for a really long time. And so to your point of like being, uh, you know, ignoring the aggression or coming down too hard or isolating the child or not, you know, trying to just do it all on your own rather than engaging resources is only going to further exacerbate that because you're taking a child who's already struggling and then you're letting them struggle more or creating more space for them to continue to struggle rather than acknowledging, oh, you're really struggling with something. Something's really hard right now. And that's what's underlying here. Not that you just took so much joy in your friend at recess. No, no.
1: Your sweet boy never wants to hurt anybody else ever. If he does that, he's coming from a place of struggle. You must know that, right? You must know that. And that it's only that from that perspective, we can switch from the can't to, I'm sorry, from the won't to the can't mindset. And what I mean by that is like a lot of times when our boys are like are aggressive, we think like, oh, you know, I've told him 50 times to stop hitting his sister and he just won't stop. He just insists mm-hmm. on doing it. Right. He's not trying to do that. He doesn't want to do it. In fact, he wants desperately to stop, but he can't. And so it's our job as the parent to figure out why is that so hard for him? Mm-hmm. What is going on in here? And how can I support him to move beyond that aggression and find other ways to communicate what's going on?
0: And when you're in those moments, <laughs> for it to be a moment of like, oh wait, this is a signal that I need to do more work as a parent. Like, that's just a lot to take in, <laughs> in those moments. But it is. to your point, like that's where the responsibility lies. Um, yeah, and that's a, that's a lot. Like you don't necessarily want your child to have to do all this work either, but you're like, "Oh my gosh, this means like more on my plate."
1: <laughs> I get it. But I mean, I'm I'm going to be 100% honest with parents all the time. And, and the reality is is we cannot control another human being. Not our yeah. child, not our partner, not our friend, nobody. The only people we can control is ourselves, right? The only person we can control is ourselves. So, yeah. we have to in order to help kids who are struggling this way, we have to let go of the temptation to try to control that child mm-hmm. and instead yeah. focus on tools of connection mm-hmm. to help them be able to behave in more pro-social ways.
0: I love that. I love that centering around connection. We have I to do our have...
1: own work. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
0: this is I every know. Pa- every parent needs to go to therapy, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like,
1: I hope my boys go to therapy when they Same. grow up.
0: Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, Same. yes. Yes. We all need
1: lots of support. There is no shame in getting ongoing support for our mental health. We go for checkups to our doctor. Hopefully, Um, you know, we need to take care of our mental health too. We have all sorts of crises going on right now in the world. Mental health crises.
0: A friend of mine is single and dating and she just met someone and she was like, (laughs) she's like, "Um, he's really amazing because like he goes to therapy and he does breath work every morning. And another friend and I, we were like, um, just keep him. <laughs> I'm like, nothing else matters. Yeah. yeah. So can you talk about, I know you have a five step practice to stopping aggression and, and supporting your kids when they're struggling with aggression. Can you walk us through that framework?
1: Sure. Well, you'll be unhappy to know that the first step is
0: <laughs> parents doing their work.
1: Exactly. Oh uh, damn it. <laughs> I know. I don't call it that, but that's really what it is. I call it setting yourself up for success. And it involves a lot of things, but the main thing is what work do we need to do to be able to show up in what I call good enough parenting shape to help our kid? Because I can't with integrity and honesty say to a parent, here are, you know, five tools, 12 tools. 16 tactics to do when the aggression arises, and expect them to have success with those tools if they don't do their work first, because it's triggering. It's very hard. It's scary. It's hard. It's upsetting. It's all the things. And if we don't do our work, we react instead of respond. Mm-hmm. So the first step is really setting yourself up for success. It's like, do you need to tell people you're going to start doing things differently? Do you need you know it's like, if you're going to go on a diet, you know, let's say you want to start eating healthier, get stronger. Well, if your freezer is, you know, stuffed with Ben and Jerry's, it's going to be really hard. Well, it would be hard for me because I like Ben and Jerry's, right? So like if I was wanting to not eat sugar, I would do better to not have the Ben and Jerry's in the freezer. So that would be something that I could do to set myself up for success. I would give away what's there and stop buying more, right? Mm-hmm. So they're really practical things that we need to do to set up our environment So that we can have success. A lot of shame comes up when these behaviors sort of rear their head in public. And often that public is like family events or, you know, around our close circle of friends. Like, Mm -hmm. what do we need to tell them so that we can show up? and feel differently. It's so like, if I, like, if we're going, you know, I don't know when this is going to air, but maybe towards the holidays, you know, we're mm-hmm. headed into holiday meals and stuff like that. Like what a difference it makes. If you know, you've got a little guy who struggles with aggression and like, you know, maybe he doesn't like Thanksgiving food mm-hmm. and he's prone to, you know, saying, you know, this is disgusting and you get embarrassed. <laughs> and or you're whatever. sitting
0: at your great aunt's house. <laughs> exactly.
1: Or like, you know, throwing mm-hmm. his fork or whatever. Like the difference between going to that terrified that this is going to happen because it always happens and probably going to happen again and setting yourself up for success by being in touch with that great aunt beforehand and saying, Hey, you know what? My kid is really struggling right now with this. And I expect that this might happen. I just want you to know I'm on it. If it happens, first of all, I apologize ahead of time. I'm going to do everything I can to hope that it doesn't and and assure that it doesn't. But if it does, I'm going to do X and you know, you, you don't need to do anything, or I'm going to do this. And if you could just let people know that I'm fine, and I'll come if I need help kind of thing. Like, that's a whole different environment to walk into.
0: Yeah,
1: right. The shame is much lower, because we've basically said, I've got this, I'm aware there's a problem. I'm taking responsibility for everybody's safety. And, you know, I- I'm cool. If I need you, I'll ask for help. So all these kinds of things. So the first step is really setting yourself up for success. And then also like whatever support you need to work through what your triggers are. And everybody's triggers are different, right? So like somebody called me this morning and their nine-year-old is doing lots of swearing. They're triggered by it. Swearing does not trigger me. I mean, not like I want my kid calling me all kinds of names, but like Mm -hmm. it doesn't set me off. I can think clearly I'm not triggered. I can think about like, okay, how do I want to approach this kind of a thing? She can't. So We have to work on whatever our triggers are so mm-hmm. that we can show up calm um, in the moment. So yeah, so, so, so sorry, that's step one. <laughs> <laughs> but the second step is infusing connection. Mm-hmm. And that's really basically, you know, we talked earlier about like that sweet boy underneath and then the yucky behaviors kind of glommed on top. And we want to just infuse so much connection that we see more of that sweet boy underneath. And that he realizes that we see more. It's helpful for him. It's also helpful for us. So, you know, I teach a practice called special time. And at the end, I'll give people a link to attend a reconnect that will walk them through that. If there are things that you do with your sweet boy that you laugh together, that you smile together, you have a good time, do more of those, right? We want more. When, when parents come to me, generally the scale is tipped towards many, many negative interactions per day or our, and very few positive ones, right? This kid is getting like, stop it right now. Don't do this. I'm sick of this. You know better. Why didn't you do this? Right. And not a lot of positive affirmations. We need to shift that because we can't change behaviors. None of us can change behaviors when we feel like we're being criticized and nobody likes us. And that mm-hmm. includes our kids. Yeah. So that fusing connection part is really important. And then after that, I walk parents through playing detective. And that's kind of like the story with the Thanksgiving dinner. It's like, we need to go from, oh, my God, this happens all the time. Woe is me. There's It's like, I can't control it to, oh, actually, this happens every time I come back from a business trip, or every time he comes back from his dad's house, Or when he wakes up first thing in the morning, or right when he gets back from school, or when his sibling is in the room, or whatever. I've been doing this for like, over two decades, like there is always a pattern, when we can discover the pattern, we empower ourselves to create to be able to create change. It's another piece of setting ourselves up for success, because we move our out of victim role and into a real empowered place of Oh, okay, it's not all the time. There are actually some good moments too. It happens in this environment. So let's make a plan. Mm-hmm. So that piece is really important. And then from there, we move into the sort of down and dirty of setting loving limits. And that's really my, you know, favorite and my sort of superpower, and where I shine in terms of supporting parents. We have to get really good at setting limits when there's aggression there. And sometimes that's physical limits. Oftentimes it involves our body. <laughs> We have to keep our tone up. We have to be really clear that we are helping that sweet boy underneath there. There's lots that goes into it, but setting loving limits is really important. So many families who've got a kid who struggles with aggression have their whole family revolving around this child. And it's, it's exhausting and it's upsetting for everybody involved. And for the child who's struggling with the aggression, it's creating more fear because for that child to feel that they have so much power is mm-hmm. actually quite terrifying. And the yeah. more fear they're carrying, the more aggression is going to come out. So setting loving limits is super, super important. And then after that is play. So, you know, I say play like your life depends on it because it does. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we we need to not be scared about being playful. That example at the playground that I gave earlier, right? I could have come in harsh. Mm-hmm you know, you know, better than that, how do not push anybody ever that's dangerous, you could send them to the hospital, um, you know, come stand next to me right now, all the things right, we've all been there. But um, we could also be silly, we can also be playful, we can use play strategically to not distract, that's not the point in this particular situation, but to create space for healing. So laughter in this case, As I mentioned earlier, laughter releases fear, it releases stress, it releases anxiety. And so if I'm creating a game whereby this child who was pushing and in kind of a tight spot is able to laugh, his emotional brain is relaxing. He is able to sense my love and presence more and the acceptance of other kids more and the connection with other kids more. His radar starts to feel safe rather than threatened. And he is able to behave differently. So we need to learn how to use play strategically, sometimes responsibly in situations like that. And then mm-hmm. um, a lot proactively, just incorporating a lot more roughhousing and big play and laughter into our families. We're very serious. <laughs>
2: yes. Yeah. There's, so that that's there's the... so many
0: things to do every day. We just, <laughs> it's all about getting through the day instead of so like many. the fun part. Yeah. I love that. Oh my goodness. So I know parents like me are listening and have follow-up questions to all of the five steps here. Can you tell people where they can find you, where they can access resources from you? And then I know you have a resource that people can go access immediately for free. And then I know you also have a program that you run twice a year so can you maybe share both of those things
2: yeah
1: absolutely so the best place to find me is on my website parentingboyspeacefully.com I try to be on social a little bit but I suck at social I'll just put that out there Um, but I'm very devoted to my email list of followers and I write every week with you know tips and inspiration and little anecdotes and stuff so go to parentingboyspeacefully.com find me there You will see an opportunity to join my reconnect. It's called uh, Parenting Boys Peacefully, a 10-day reconnect. You'll just see a link that says join the reconnect. And I'll give you a link that you can put in the show notes for this. It'll take them straight there. And basically that will bring you straight into that infused connection step. That was step two of what we talked about just really ease you over 10 days into a practice of special time with your sweet boy. And you, you know, if you go in 10 days, it's like 15 minutes a day. It'll take you completely, totally from reading to doing, you will see transformation. So it's quite amazing. And then in terms of the course, I teach a course called out with aggression, which is a six week sprint that I do twice a year to help parents, families who are struggling got a boy who's struggling with aggression and what can I tell you about that? And um, if you're if you're on my email list, and you get my messages, and you know, if you sign up for the reconnect, you will know when that happens. Generally, it's once in fall and once in spring. That's historically how I've run it.
0: Oh, my goodness, so many good resources. So I'm going to link everything there. I'll link to parentingboyspeacefully.com dot com And then the 10 day reconnect at parenting dot com slash reconnect. And then we'll If folks go and get the reconnect, they'll automatically hear about when you are opening the next round for Out With Aggression. Tasha, this has been amazing. You got to come back another time because I still have like 27 more questions for you.
2: (laughs) I'm happy to.
0: (laughs) I know that you have another call in like one minute. So do you want to give us a one sentence on how you are currently showing up as a shameless mom?
1: Oh, I mean, I think really, well, a a few things. One, I'm showing up as a shameless mom by continuing to feel passionate about this work and spread this message and this mission to create a more peaceful world one sweet boy at a time like that I feel shameless about that I feel excited about it I feel like it's so hopeful and it brings hope to so many so that's one thing I'm also working on a children's book which I'm excited about um, which is fun and I think like personally my boys are growing up my second one is moving out and going to college so I'm shamelessly sort of fumbling through figuring out what this next phase of life looks like. And I don't know what it looks like yet, but I'm just kind of putting myself out there and open to whatever comes.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for being here, Tasha. This was incredible.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me, Sarah. I loved it.
0: Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show. So you never miss an episode. You can do that directly. If you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, that will put you in Apple podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week.